Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast for water treaters by water treaters, where we're scaling up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. Hi, everybody. Trace Blackmore here. I'm so excited to be with you today. You are listening to the Scaling Up podcast, the world's only podcast that is all water treatment, all the time. Of course, it's also things that allow us to be better water treaters. And that's why today's show is about the things that we can use that can make us more efficient. I know we're all carrying around smartphones in our pockets, but a lot of us aren't allowing the technology that we carry on a day-to-day basis to do work that we do not need to do. So that's what today's show is about. It's about how do we let technology do the tasks that we don't necessarily need to do, and we can just set technology up to do it. Now, I am by no means an expert on this. In fact, I probably need the most help when it comes to this. But because of this show, I have experts that are willing to come on and share their knowledge on how to do that. Before I introduce our guest, I want to answer a quick question. I get a lot of emails, a lot of questions where people ask me, how the heck do I have enough time to read all the books that I do? And I'm going to let you in on a secret. I read, my goal to read 35 books a year. Most of those are in business. A lot of those are in water treatment. I'm also reading some other items. I read very little fiction I like to read so I can have some sort of action plan to make myself better. And you're wondering, oh my gosh, 35 books, how does he do that? And by the way, I know people that read much more than that. Well, here's my secret. I probably read only five of them. The rest I listen to. As like you, I am in my car an awful lot. And I live in Atlanta, so to go across the street, it might be 20 hours in traffic. So I don't get mad at traffic. I actually enjoy traffic because it gives me time to listen to Audible. Yes, Audible. I think Audible is the best thing that has happened to me in probably the last 10 years because it has given me the ability to read when I don't have time or the ability to read because I'm driving. So here's the thing. Audible will give you 30 days free to try out. All you have to do is go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash audible and you will get a free 30 days to try it out. I know you're going to love it, but if you don't, cancel within that 30 days and you won't lose anything. But that is my secret to how I get so many books read, and I'm using air quotes when I'm saying read, I listen to them. And folks, if you've got a good retention when you listen, you can even change the speed. And a lot of books, if they're not too intense, I'll listen to them at one and a half speed so I can get through them even quicker. Now, I have to admit, some of the ones that are really intense, I cannot listen any faster than one time speed. And sometimes I even have to go back and re-listen to chapters depending on how intense they are. So again, 
30 days free, scaling up H2O forward slash Audible. Well, folks, I promised you that we are going to get more efficient today by using apps, and that's what our guest does. Our guest is Beth Zeesness, and she is your nerdy best friend. That's what she calls herself, and she is so good at her job. She is going to tell us all about the apps that could be doing the work that we shouldn't be doing because the apps could do it for us. And if we're not doing that work, that means we can do higher level work. And that means we can be more valuable to our companies. That means we can grow our territories. That means we have more time for our families. So folks, I know you're going to enjoy this. Please welcome my guest, Beth Zeesness. My lab partner today is Beth Zeesness, and Beth was one of our speakers at the Association of Water Technologies Annual Convention in Grand Rapids. I was one of the attendees there, and I learned so much about how technology can help us with day-to-day activities that we do. Beth, how are you today? Wonderful. I'm here in sunny San Diego, California, and uh, I tell you, it's such a wonderful thing to live here. Well, I am actually in Atlanta, Georgia, and it snowed over the weekend, and it does not snow in Atlanta. We don't know what to do with it. I heard that. I heard that. And uh, good luck to you. There's not any bread or eggs to be found anywhere in Atlanta. Oh, that's really funny because uh, is it is it a disaster that's going to make it so you don't get food for weeks or is it like two days and you're good? Well, it's pretty much an Atlanta disaster. So there was about a, a tenth of an inch of snow. So the whole city <laughs> went into panic. Beth, I really enjoyed your session at the AWT, but I know we have some listeners out there in the Scaling Up Nation that may not have been able to come to the convention and heard what it is that you do. Can you please tell us what it is that you do? I am a professional nerd. This is what I do for a living is to discover free and bargain apps that people can use. I am an author, a speaker, and like I said, a nerd. And I travel around the country telling people all about different apps. I speak about 80 times a year for different programs. And I bring my books and I share my apps and I'm constantly keeping up with them. And that's pretty much how I spend all my days. Did you always know you were a nerd or did that just happen to to take effect? Well, sometimes some kids are designated a nerd by other kids. <laughs> so uh, from the very beginning, uh, I kind of sat in the corner and did different things. I was the kid who would grade the teacher's papers during breaks because uh, they needed help. I was the kid who, oh, it gets geekier than that. I would sit in the back of the room and do potholders with a loop, those loop weaver things. I would avoid recess like the plague. I would <laughs> just kind of do my own things when I was a little kid. I, um, or, you know, in middle school and high uh, grammar school, I would read about nine books a day, not exaggerating. It was funny. One day uh, I was at the dentist not too long ago, and the guy said, You have a cracked tooth, and you've probably had it, you know, all your life. Uh, or quite a while. You probably um, had it when, when you played sports in uh, when you were a kid. And I said, uh, yeah, probably a book fell on my face while I fell asleep. 
that's pretty much uh, <laughs> the injuries I sustained as a kid. So it's it's been really interesting um, to grow up and see how nerds are accepted and encouraged and I don't know, rich, not myself, but others. And uh, to see kids who were different have a place in society rather than, um, you know, feel like they were too different. Well, Beth, in high school, they call people nerds. When everybody graduates, those people that call them nerds call those nerds boss. (laughs) Yep. Yep. That is, uh, we hope that's true for all the nerds out there who, who were different and can make a change when they leave. Well, you really made an impression on me with all of the tools that are out there that we could be using to save ourselves time, make our life easier. And a lot of them you mentioned were free. So the goal today is to become nerdy, to get the Scaling Up Nation part of the nerd community. Are you on board for that? I am. Let's do it. So what are some of the ways that we can use technology to help save time? One of the things that I always talk about and I always ask people is, what do you do that annoys you? What do you do that you have to do over and over again manually? What do you do that just eats up your time? And you can begin to talk about technology in those areas. And there are so many advancements that have happened specifically for those annoying tasks, for those repetitive tasks, for those just mind-boggling, boring tasks. There are so many ways that we can incorporate technology into there and start changing the way we do things. We've got a world that is developing technology tools and, and shortcuts so quickly that it's time for you to stop and think about how you're working and what you're doing so that you can put it all together and come up with some solutions. How do you know when you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing because technology should be doing that for you? That's one of the toughest things, I think, for um, water treatment professionals, anybody who is as busy as they are, to really examine because sometimes we get so caught up in that being a part of our lives, whatever uh, task it is. I just you know, talked about these annoying tasks. Sometimes we get caught up in those tasks being so much of our lives that we forget to stop and evaluate how we can do it. So anytime you spend an enormous amount of time staring at email, getting things done, communicating with people, trying to get organized... Stop what you're doing. Ask yourself, what is it that's going wrong? And what is out there that will help me fix this? At the AWT convention, you mentioned a lot of applications that we could be using. And you mentioned that some of them were secret weapons. So as far as the water treatment professional goes, what are some of the apps that we need to be familiar with? Well, let's kind of go in a few categories here and start with what we all need is better organization slash productivity. In the first category of organization, let's talk about email. If you're using the standard email that came with your phone and the standard email that 
that your company set up or you set up, you need to reevaluate that because so many of the email tools now are using, and I we're probably going to get into this in a few minutes, artificial intelligence to help you get through your inbox, help you evaluate what's in there and what's the most important. So one of the things I see water treatment professionals and any professional really struggling with is getting through that inbox. And that's where we can use technology. I'll mention a couple of them uh, that people can use. One of them is Gmail. If you start off with Gmail as your basis, Gmail is one of the most flexible email tools that can be converted and used in so many third-party apps. So you get your Gmail, you get your email from one place and then you can access it through third-party apps. So some people have some restrictions about whether they can use Gmail and some people have some flexibility. Even if you have other emails, you can integrate them into Gmail and access and answer from Gmail as your headquarters rather than, let's say, Microsoft Outlook, which is very common. So wrapping your head around making a change in what kind of access you have is very important. If we keep going in the email direction, even if you are required by your company to use one kind or another kind or another kind, there are some email tools that will help you inside your email. For example, very simple concept is making rules. So let's say every day you get a couple of newsletters that you're interested in, or you get um, some emails that are just updates or what have you. You can set up rules in Gmail, in Microsoft Outlook, to automatically have those sorted for you into different places so that you can concentrate on the things that are most important. Again, going with the basics, Gmail and Outlook both will have a classification system that will help you get the important things up front automatically and make use of those things. Add those things, add those features to your email so that immediately the stuff that's most important bubbles up to the top and I'll go ahead and say it, the crapola that just clogs up your email can kind of go into a different area or not be up higher. Well, I will say we just recently acquired Office 365 and we were using a 2013 version before that. And just the difference in the amount of stuff that goes in my primary email notification window I don't know how they do it, but it's a pretty good job of the things that I need to be looking at just out of the box. It's showing me those things. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the challenges that people have is they bought this way back in the day. They paid for it and it works still, but there are so many advancements that they can take advantage of that go beyond that. Use those tools that are inside there update, I highly recommend Office 365. Uh, just for your own, uh, for everybody's edification, I do not get paid by any of these apps to talk about them. I pay for them just like you do. I love them. I use them. I try them out. My budget is a little high for the things I try out. I just wanted you guys to know that uh, Office 365 is not paying me to say that it's wonderful. It is wonderful and it has changed the integration 
of all kinds of different programs, the integration, the features and outlook, all these different things can be pulled together with a, a tool like Microsoft Office 365 that is a system rather than just an individual software piece. Well, you mentioned organization and productivity. What are some of the other areas that we can look at? Let's talk about to-do lists. One of the things that challenges many of us is keeping track of all the things we need to do. Now, I do a couple of different things. I keep a Google Calendar with all kinds of major guidelines. But frankly, and this is a little bit embarrassing, I have a piece of paper in front of me. It's actually a steno notepad with two columns. And I put the date on top and I have to write it out every day so I understand what I need to do and stay focused. But in addition to a piece of paper, in addition to a calendar set up, you've got a whole bunch of, again, third-party apps or integrated apps into your regular email system that you can use to keep track of things. Microsoft has something called To-Do, which is so creatively named, I know, but <laughs> it keeps track of all those tasks. And it helps you, again, through the integrated programs, all of them together. So anywhere you are, you can add those to-dos and keep things going. One of the best to-do lists that I like also is called To-Do-ist, T-O-D-O-I-S-T. The most organized human being in my world is my manager, Molly Gardner. She adores Todoist. Microsoft To-Do is based on a tool called Wonderlist, W-U-N-D-E-R-L-I-S-T. And believe it or not, Microsoft bought them in 2014. And they're supposed to be putting it to bed, but it's not to bed yet. In fact, in my newest book, I wrote that it was already integrated in and it's not yet. So that's not quite accurate, but everybody loves Wonderlist for that kind of thing. So besides to-do list, and you mentioned this a moment ago, I am also a paper note taker. There's just something I can't, I can't get a, a tablet and, and a stylus and really get anything to, to feel right when I'm doing that. So I've always got to put pen to paper when I'm in a meeting and I normally draw a line down the center of it. So my, my hand doesn't go all the way across the page, you know, things they, they taught you in the, in the early nineties to do. How do you get that to work with your apps, with all these things? So are there, are there ways to integrate the paper into the technology? It's kind of like you were reading my mind because the next app I wanted to talk about was Evernote. Evernote is one of those tools that kind of bridges the handwritten notes and the pieces and parts you come across in your world with the electronic and the technology. So what Evernote is, is the ultimate note-taking tool. You can take notes directly into Evernote with typing. You can actually, when you're taking handwritten notes, take a picture of those and Evernote will use OCR, optical character recognition, to search through those notes. You can put all of your emails in there. You can put all of your pictures in there. You know, water treatment professionals in the field can take notes and add pieces and parts to the things they're, the information they're collecting and evaluating into Evernote and it's available everywhere immediately. Evernote used to be super duper free and have all kinds of features in the free area. 
Mm, dang it all, they want to make a living. Ugh. So they put several things behind a paywall that they used to have for free. But Microsoft's OneNote, and getting back into that integration of the Microsoft Office tools, Microsoft's OneNote is very similar. Some, some people prefer one of the other. But Microsoft's OneNote is a fantastic tool that uh, also will bring things together and also will help with some of that paper capturing. Is there any hope for somebody who's so addicted to paper to start actually taking notes on a device? Hmm, that is a good question because there may be other issues for someone who is incredibly. <laughs> I, I have a lot of issues. But it's like if TV we can convert you, and if we can convert people to using a tablet that has handwriting features you may be able to immediately do that. Uh, one of my favorite devices, and I, I adore it, but I can't use it because it's not quite reliable enough, but it's the Microsoft Surface Pro. It's a tablet slash computer, and it has a fantastic note writing tool that is a stylus that you write directly into it, and it'll convert your information to text. There's also a tool called, um, and this is really cool, called LiveScribe, L-I-V-E-S-C-R-I-B-E. And when you write with LiveScribe as a pen, it automatically pulls it in to the LiveScribe software and you can use it other places and will convert it to text. A lot of it, it's not 100% easy to take written word and convert it to text, convert it to text going to take a couple of different, um, it may take a gadget or two, but you can do it. But I, I would go to an Apple store, I would go to a Microsoft store and just sit there with one of these tools and try to write. One of my favorite tools is called Notability, N-O-T-A-B-I-L-I-T-Y, Notability. And Notability also, um, I, I just adore it. It lets you mark up PDFs. It lets you write directly into it. And it's just, it's great note-taking tool as well. Great advice. I'll let you know what turns out with that. Beth, what are some of the other items that we should be looking at? Let's go into dun, 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 passwords. Holy smokes. I'm so sad when I see and hear all of the situations that happen with passwords. In this day and age, if you're if you're using the same password over and over again, you're really risking things. And if you're, I don't know, Jack Walker, the person you spoke to at the last uh, podcast, and use the exact same one and then give it out over the air, hmm, could be a couple of issues there. So don't do that. And don't do that. But you need, everyone needs a unique, unguessable password for every single site you visit. You should see my face right now. It's the serious face and I'm using the fingers. Unique username and pass or unique password for every site you visit. It has to be that way. You can no longer use the same password over and over again. It's so easy for the bad guys to get a database of a username and password list. You may not even know you used it on whatever's been hacked. You know, didn't have high security, a low level site you visited was hacked. And then you have that password username combo floating around the world. Here's an example for you. I was in Louisville, Kentucky, 
and I had a couple extra days, I was going to go to a play. Now I go to register on the uh, small town actors guild or whatever. I go to get tickets online and they make me register. How secure do you think a small theater in Louisville, Kentucky is going to be? How much time and effort do you think they put into saving their password? So if I had used my regular old everyday username and password, which I have, you know, I have one of those. It's, I've changed my habits, but I have those kind of things. How secure do you think that's going to be? And how, what's going to happen when, not if, when somebody gets that database, puts it on the dark web, and the bad guys have it? Not good. So when you say these things, I think that my little mind can remember Fluffy 98 you know, my rabbit's name and I got him in 98. So it's always been fluffy 98. No, it's not really my password, but now I've got to remember 400 passwords and that just frightens me. Well, go back to the idea that we talked about earlier about the problems you have and the things that stump you. How can we solve that with technology? And dun, 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 we have a solution. We have lots of solutions. There are password management tools out there that allow you to Create one password that you can access the entire database of passwords or create some way for you to get into your database of passwords and it will track and let you automatically load and automatically find these crazy mixed up passwords that'll help you generate. There are several of them out there. You have to, have to, have to be very careful. I mean, that's one of the biggest questions I get are, are these tools safe? And I'm like, uh, no, because nothing is safe. However, if you go with one of the top five tools, you're going to get people who their whole reputation is based on this, this security. So they're going to work, mm, I don't know, a million times harder than you and your elaborate sticky note system around your computer monitor. I've spent a lot of time perfecting that system. <laughs> well, if there's a breeze that comes out around and all of your passwords are flutter to the ground, you're going to be in trouble. Um, and some people have a really good system and they have unique passwords for every site. But most of us struggle there. I can see my husband and, and you know, he he doesn't listen to me because, yeah, he's my husband. And... I see him lose his password and forget his password because it's one of five that he uses over and over again. And he gets locked out after four tries and then he cusses and I can see the face and he resets it all the time. And I'm like, ah, use these things, fix this problem. So I'm going to list a, a few of the top ones and I'll tell you which one I use. The top ones are really Dashlane, D-A-S-H-L-A-N-E. There's one called One Password. It's the number one and then password. That one people like very much because you can store things locally rather than in the cloud. There's one called RoboForm. It's been around for a long time. They kind of converted from a form filler to a password keeper. There's one called M, M as in man, secure. And people like that one very much. There are several out there. The one I use is called LastPass. Really, the only reason I choose it and use it is because it's always worked for me, number one. Number two, it's the one I started with, right? So 
stopping and going to another one would kind of be a pain, even though I've tried out the other one. So uh, that's the one I choose. And it's free. LastPass is free for the basic version or a whopping $24 a year, $2 a month for the highest version. One of the things that I want water treatment professionals to think about is the sharing of passwords. Because right now, I'm sure a lot of them have systems that, you know, family members or other colleagues get into and they say, oh, just use my username and password. You're only as secure as everybody who has your password, right? Even if you have a really good password, if they write it down into Starbucks and leave it on the table, what have you, um, it's kind of out there. So LastPass lets you share passwords without actually sharing passwords. And I do this with my manager all the time. So she doesn't have access to my passwords, but she can get into any system we need because I've shared them through the system. Is that on the pay-as-you-go version, not the free version? I believe you can share with both. I, they, you know, those are the kind of things they tweak to make money, dang them. Sure. And uh, I believe you can share with both, but with the premium version, when I update, it automatically updates it for her. So I think with the free version, when I update, I would have to reshare it. And that's kind of a pain because sometimes she needs it like on the go or really fast. And here I am like not able to give it to her. Well, that's great advice. And Jack Walker, if you're listening, buddy, and I know you are, make sure you download LastPass. I think you need it. <laughs> uh, a tool that you shouted out during the AWT that I have used a bunch was Postagram. I'm one of these guys that I love the written note and, and I like to put pen to paper, but I never have a stamp or I never have a card. I have to go out and get something, but I like sending thank you notes. And that is the coolest program uh, based on how, how I like to thank people. Do you mind talking a little bit about that? Oh, it's one of my favorites. I adore thanking people too. And, you know, water treatment professionals are on the go all the time. You're on the go. I'm on the go. We don't have time to sit down and find a stamp and find some paper and find a pen and find an envelope. So I love this tool called Postagram. Postagram lets you snap a picture or take a picture from your social media or your phone and choose a background that actually the backgrounds cost extra money nowadays. So I, I just go with the basic. You write a note, you write your um, address, and then you click. And two or three days later, or three to five days later, they will get a high quality postcard that has a punch outable picture. That's the official technology word, punch outable. <laughs> but it has a punch outable picture that they can save. And how much cooler is that than a regular old thank you note? Well, and, and even more than that, it's not even a buck to send with postage. Well, they went up. Um, you can buy credits at a discount, but now it's $1.99. So it's two bucks, but still, I mean, I literally have carried around. In fact, I just gave it to him. I bought a card for my husband on the road. It was a Valentine's Day card three years ago, three years ago. And because I didn't put a stamp in my bag and I just put this card in my bag, I carried it around in my briefcase for three years because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't take the time to buy a stamp while I was on the road to send him a nice card. So finally, I just used it. We just had our anniversary and I just used it. And I it was wrinkled. <laughs> it was sad. 
And I told him, I've had it for three years. The sentiment's the same, but. (laughs) That's great. You mentioned this term earlier, and we're going to go ahead and get into it. You said artificial intelligence. Now, when I think of artificial intelligence, I go to Arnold Schwarzenegger and Judgment Day, and I think that was April 29th, 1997. Of course, that didn't happen, and they keep redoing it so they can make more movies. But does that mean the machines are taking over? What is artificial intelligence? It's a complicated, complicated question, because I'll be honest with you, I still have trouble figuring out all the levels of this and all the types of this. But the concept is that computers are able to figure out things on their own because of a couple of different methods. It is advancing so quickly that it's it's mind-boggling. I'll give you an example. So, um, and this is not my example. It was a um, researcher's example, but it, uh, I'm stealing it. So artificial intelligence could be described as um, machines learning from every possible example that we feed to them and then being able to predict it. So if you're trying to teach a computer how to cross the road, right? So in the old days, you would just program in every possible way to cross the road and tell it, you know, um, look both ways and give it exact instructions. But nowadays, what you would do is show it 10,000 videos or um, scenarios of people crossing the road and successfully, and then 10,000 of people getting squished, so unsuccessfully. And so the computer would learn how to, based on a whole bunch of different factors, cross the road. With image recognition, they showed it millions of pieces of data of images of images, and said, okay, now that you've seen every possible thing and we've told you what every possible thing can do, then you can figure out what all these things are. And it did. But here is the kicker. Here's, here's where things are starting to get strange. Number one, there was an experiment not too long ago that Uh, they taught computers how to bargain, right? So they did it with like red hats and blue balls and, and orange bats or something like that. And each computer had a different goal. Like one computer needed to have a yellow bat and a red hat to win or to get a certain number of points. So you incentivize the computers and then you fed in the results of hundreds or thousands of humans negotiating, and you gave that to the computer. So the computer played a whole bunch and learned a whole bunch from humans, and then they pitted the computer against itself. Well, the computer learned how to lie, to bluff, and say, well, I want two red hats, and he didn't really want two red hats. He, the, it I said, he, it wanted one red hat, but because he knew, it knew that the other computer wanted more red hats, it used that as a bargaining chip. So it was deceitful in order to get its way. And then second thing, and here's something scary, and I'll tell you another thing scary in just a second. Another thing the computers did was they came up with their own language and own way to communicate that the researchers couldn't understand. So they started off in English, right? And as time went on and they were working with each other more, the two computers, they came up with their faster language that communicated quicker the same information. And researchers had to stop that 
and set it to just be English and to be the kind of communication we're used to because they couldn't understand what was going on. So that's one. The second thing that just happened that is phenomenally worrisome slash helpful is that, okay, the chess game, right? So one of the big breakthroughs in the last three years was that computers are now able to even past, um, they had one about five or six years ago where computers were playing chess with the masters and computer finally won. So they have been uh, letting computers play with masters and win, or, you know, they've been winning more often, but they, and they did it originally by programming in every possible move that every chess master knows and letting the computer figure it out, right? But not too long ago, they had one computer teach another computer how to play chess. And they didn't start with the whole database that humans had fed them. They started by calculating every possible move that ever could be made and figuring out what was the best. So instead of using human knowledge to build computer knowledge, they used computer knowledge to build computer knowledge, cutting out what the human input was. So you have thoroughly frightened the entire scaling up nation. So people are not trusting their cars anymore, or their tablets. So is there something useful that we can use now that we're all terrified that the computers are taking over? Uh, what are some of the ways that we could actually use that to our advantage before we're working for the machines? Well, let me first go back and clarify and make sure that everybody knows that I could be getting some of my experiments overlapping, but those are the capabilities that are coming out, but maybe it wasn't the, the chess on chess thing. I don't know. It was a chess on chess thing, but I hope nobody goes and looks it up and says she was wrong because the outcomes were right, but I might've mixed up some of these thousands of things that I've been reading. Fair enough. So going back to your question about the, how can we use it? Holy smokes. We are so fortunate to be able to use this. It is phenomenal, again, how much help these kind of things can be. For example, um, in the area of translation and voice transcription, huge advances. With transcription, you can talk in regular language to a host, a host of virtual assistants to answer your every question on the go. And I was just, you know, I was getting ready for this podcast and I was doing another project. And very quickly, I was talking to Alexa, one of my virtual assistants in the house. And Alexa, I said, set a timer for this. And then I said, oh, wait a minute, cancel that timer. And then I said, um, what time is it? And then I said, in in five minutes to the hour, please notify me. And all these different things that were in casual language that Alexa processed and made it very helpful for me to keep an eye on the time so that I was uh, early to come and get set up. So that is one of the things that can happen is the is the um, trans transcription and the voice recognition. But in the translation area, holy smokes, there was an exercise and this was probably over a year ago. So it's ancient history now. 
a Japanese book was translated into English. They used a very skilled Japanese translator who can capture those nuances because I know uh, a few people have tried out translation tools and they were a joke, right? Just a couple of years ago, they were like word by word translations. And it's like, oh my gosh. I once had a housekeeper who spoke a different language than I did. I mean, I spoke none of her language. She spoke none of my language. So I carefully went on Google Translate and I had, I wrote out what I wanted to say and then I printed it out in her language and I put it on the table and I left to go out of town. And what I said was, please clean out the freezer. Well, it translated as, please throw away everything in the freezer. (laughs) And so we came home and had like this incredible, you know, we live here in San Diego. So, you know, the fresh salmon that we had had frozen pretty much from the sea, all these, you know, Omaha steak kind of things. was like, uh, well, we need to go shopping. So the translation has come so far such that nowadays, and uh, they need to work on dialects, they need to work on accents, they need to work on regional differences, but there are several tools on the market, including Google, that you can put a device into your ear and a headphone, and while someone else is speaking another language, it will translate into your ear. That's the universal translator. They had that on Star Trek. I know. Those guys were right. Amazing. One of the other tools that I adore, and this isn't artificial intelligence, actually. It's just plain old intelligence and plain old computer computer work. Is It's a tool called If This Then That. And I consider it to be if ta 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 <laughs> but they don't say it like that. They have it rhyme with lift. But if this, then that sets up a tiny little recipe that works behind the scenes that helps you automate some of the things you check again. We're, we keep going back to those things that annoy us, right? So this is another thing. Um, if it's going to rain tomorrow, send me a text message at 7 a.m. If I change my Facebook picture, change my Twitter picture. If I take a picture of a certain uh, certain uh, situation while I'm on the job, uh, you know, analyzing some water event somewhere. Automatically, when I use when I do this one thing, save it in a certain folder. If this, then that, and it's free. Now, there's a couple of competitors to it. One of them's called Zapier, Z A P I E R. And it has a lot more integrations, but several of them cost money. But when we go back to Evernote, when we go back to Gmail, when we go back to Dropbox, all these things have all these integrations that let you automate some of those things for you. Beth, these are some great tools, but we do have some listeners out there that might be a little technologically challenged. For those out there in the Scaling Up Nation that aren't technology's friend, what advice do you have for them? Here's where I want people to go when they they get overwhelmed with technology. First of all, I want to look them to look at their biggest hangups and biggest problems. Are they having trouble reaching people in the field? Are they having trouble keeping up with email? Again, are they having trouble remembering tasks? Start there. Do not start with the biggest, most shiny thing because that may not solve a problem you're actually having. You don't have to use technology for everything if something's working, but start thinking about 
the places where you're spending too much time and see if there's technology that will help that. The second thing is do one thing. So often I hear people and they write to me and say, I did this one thing and it has changed the way I work. Stop what you're doing, choose one thing, try it out and see how it transforms things. Beth, this has been so informative. I know the folks out in the Scaling Up Nation can't wait to start looking at some of these tools that you've mentioned. I'm going to try to list these out on my show notes page, but if they want more information than that, where can they go? Well, I bill myself as your nerdy best friend. So believe it or not, my site is yournerdybestfriend.com. And on there, I keep a blog. I have a newsletter. All these things are great additions to your technology pile. In fact, we just asked my readers what was the biggest benefit. And all of them say things like, or a lot of them say things like, number one, the humor. So I'm hoping that's there. But another thing is they say, you are the one who's doing the research on apps that will help me. And I'm taking away apps that I would never find on my own. So please visit. Please um, take a look at my books. They are uh, the latest one is called The Big Book of Apps, mainly because it's a it's a big book of apps, really. So uh, try those out. Well, Beth, you got time for some lightning round questions. Go for it. All right. So if you could go back in time to the first day where you started your job, knowing all the things that you know now, what advice would you give yourself? I would say blog more. I would say come up with the content more often. And, you know, I'm not sure how that translates exactly into the water treatment community, except to say do more research and have more information. I would say blog more and get more content and share things more often. That's what I I would have done at the very beginning. What are the last three books that you've read? Well, I'm just going to go with the last book I'm reading because I adore it so much. Amy Poehler's, it's called Yes, Please, I think. Uh, it's just delightful. And she talks about the pain and agony of writing a book. <laughs> and I've written four now. And when I read it, I actually used a tool to capture the text from that page and texted it to everybody I knew saying, see, she gets me. Writing a book uh, is is all this and more. So I am delighted with her book. It's funny. It's interesting. And uh, I relate to her very well. Well, I've been threatening to write a book for probably 10 years now. And that's why I started this show, because it was just easier for me than to write a book. Any advice for me? Blog more, download that, and you can put it in an Excel spreadsheet, then mail merge it into a book. Well, there you go. Great advice. Eventually, they're going to make a movie about your life. When they do, who plays Beth? Well, I have always loved Mara Winningham uh, from the time she played in uh, St. Elmo's Fire. And uh, kind of pudgy, kind of cute, incredibly intelligent. All she needs to do is dye her hair whatever color my hair happens to be at the time. Because, you know, these things change. And uh, I think we got it. Last question. If you can talk to anybody throughout history, who would it be with and why? Throughout history, well, I'm going to go with a modern person, and I am in love with Will Wheaton, who plays himself on Big Bang Theory and plays Wesley Crusher on Star Trek The Next Generation. He speaks for the nerds. I saw him speak one time. I was uh, speaking at Mensa, the High IQ Society, and he was their keynote speaker, and I wept 
in his presentation and, or in his speech. And my husband turned to me because we both, that was part of my package. I was like, I'll speak for you if you negotiate this. And um, my husband got to come and he turned to me and said, Beth, he was speaking to you. And I'm like, I know. I can honestly say nobody has ever given that answer on scaling up. I am a Trekkie, so I, I appreciate that answer. <laughs> so uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. I know we've learned a lot, and I just want to say kapla. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I told you she knew her stuff. Folks, you did not hear this part of the recording, but before we actually started this interview, I was asking her questions about things that I was doing on a day-to-day -day basis, and she was helping me with things that I am already using, and she was telling me tips and tricks on how to use them. I'm going to put her books on my show notes page. By all means, please check that out. But I want to let you know that since this recording, Beth has a new book coming out in a couple of weeks. It's called The Big Book of Apps. So when that comes out, I will be sure to let the nation know so you can now see her latest book on all the apps that you should be using to do the work so you don't have to do them. I'm going to tell you, I got Office 365 a couple of months ago. Actually, we started it January 1. We decided that we were going to make the break from our old 2013 software, which we had, and go ahead and go with Office 365. And if you have not done this, or if you have not gone on their website and seen the tools that come with Office 365, it really is an impressive suite. I am just getting into using OneNote. I talked about OneNote at last year's convention and I thought I knew how to use it then. I have since met with somebody who is an expert on OneNote and I had no idea of all the things that it could do. So by now I am no means an expert, I'm, but I'm learning a whole bunch of stuff. In fact, I've gotten a Surface Pro that I am trying to use exclusively to take my notes. And as I told Beth, as you guys just heard, I am a paper person. So I am going kicking and screaming doing this. But the problem is, is I love to use legal pads. And if you could see my desk right now, there's about 40 legal pads on my desk. And if you were to ask me to find notes from a particular meeting, I know they're on my desk. I have no idea how to find them. So that's how I am using OneNote. I'm sure from all the tools that Beth has mentioned, there's at least something out there that you can start using to make a difference in your life, to make you maybe a little organized, to make you have less email. Folks, there's stuff out there. Pick one thing, learn how to use it so you have more time to do other things. Let's answer a couple questions. All right, so pinks and blues. My favorite part of the show were the Scaling Up Nation, members of the Scaling Up Nation write into me and ask me questions about things they have questions about. So my first question is how can you tell if a filter needs to be changed on a closed loop system? So on a previous show, several shows, I believe I've made it clear 
that I do not believe that we are treating a closed loop system unless it has a filter on it. And a lot of people went out and they started putting filters on their systems, and then they're worried that they're throwing away clean filters. So very simple thing, what you can do is you can put pressure gauges on the inlet and the outlet, and whenever you see a delta on those gauges, you know that your filter is starting to clog. That way, you never throw away a filter that doesn't need to be thrown away. And I think on the episode with Mark Lewis, we talked about different types of filters, and I am a fan of the bag filter. For one, they're cheap. For two, they're just so darn impressive to see all the crud that comes out of the system. And folks, if, uh, if you have a really clean system, you might be changing ones that don't need to be cleaned are changed if you change them every single month. So putting inlet and outlet pressures and just changing them when there's a change, when there's a delta on there, that might solve your problem. Now, let me throw another question in here that I saw before, and I think it fits in good with this question. Actually, I guess it would fit in well with that question. I'm trying to make sure I speak well now that I'm on the podcast. So a question I saw earlier was, how can you tell if a carbon filter needs to be changed. And that's actually super easy if your water is chlorinated. If your water is chlorinated, just run a chlorine test. Whatever chlorine you test, free, total, I don't think it matters. A carbon filter should get that out of the system. And if you ever see chlorine coming through a carbon filter, you need to change that carbon filter. So great questions. Here's another question. It's about reagents. And it says, how long does phenolphthalein last? And I thought that was an interesting question. Out of all the reagents, why are they asking this question about phenolphthalein? I don't know the answer to it, but I'll answer it. I have a bottle of phenolphthalein that I think my father had. I don't think phenolphthalein goes bad. Uh, the only thing it does is turn pink at a pH of 8.3. So if you're ever curious about that, find a pH of 8.3 or higher. And if it turns pink, it's still good. If it doesn't, I guess it's bad. I don't think it can go bad. I don't know what would happen if it went bad. But uh, that's the answer to that question. Now, I will throw out another question. How do you know when your reagents are good? How do you know when they're in date? So I'm extrapolating a little bit more from the question that was asked. Most reagents today do have an expiration date on them. Does that mean that they're no good? Well, it really depends on the reagent that you're using. Here's what I want to leave you with. If you are ever in doubt of your reagent, test it. Don't blindly believe the reagent simply because you think it's right Make a known standard of whatever you're testing for. It's really easy to do. Maybe I'll do a show on it sometime and then test for it. When you do that, you should get the answer that you made the standard to and you just verify that that reagent is totally fine. Folks, the last thing that I want to mention is the CWT challenge. As you know, I signed off 2017 last year by saying if you were in the water treatment industry, the industrial water treatment industry, by all means, let everybody know that you are serious about being in that industry and get your certified water technologist designation. I am pleased to tell you that I have had well over 160 
people, it's like 163, say that they were going to take that challenge. And I've had five people reach out to me and say that they have passed their certified water technologist designation. Folks, that is outstanding. As you know, I am super passionate about this industry, and I truly believe that there aren't enough people like me out there that are passionate about this industry and really try to make it better. So by you going out there and getting your certified water technologist, you too are making this industry better. And I hope that you are making this industry better by listening to this show and in being inspired to be a better water treater, to treat your customers better, to understand what it is that you do. And folks, I hope you keep those questions coming to me because that's how I know what to talk about. It sure is fun bringing this show to you each and every other week. I sure hope you tune in next time to Scaling Up.